Hello, my friend, and welcome to Cancer Can Give. This is a special series of the Simplify Cancer podcast where we're sharing like inspirational stories of people who went on this like grueling journey through cancer and yet they found their own way to live, to grow and give in a way that helps others. Uh, my name is Jobek Mutsky. I'm a testicular cancer survivor. I'm a proud author of Finding Hope in Times of Uncertainty, a guide to thriving in a challenging world of today. And today it is my absolute pleasure to speak to Trevor Maxwell, who is the health activist and who's the founder of Man Up to Cancer, who's just like this incredible and just cool dude. And we're gonna speak about his journey and some of the things that he's learned and what he's doing out in the world. So, so glad you can be here. Let's talk to Trevor. Great seeing you. Thank you. And again, thanks for your patience and willingness to speak with me. Uh, the cancer journey is full of bumps and crazy turns and um and then when you become an advocate um yeah things kind of like the man up to cancer movement has kind of been taken off <laughs> and just kept me like super busy so i appreciate it no that means a lot man i'm so thrilled to have you so thrilled to talk about you and your story and i really want to first of all i want to go back in time to, yeah. i want to go back in time to you know what was life like? <laughs> yeah, that's how it is, man. Yeah. Um, what was life like before cancer? Life was great. Like I was 41 <laughs> years old. Uh, my wife and I live here in Maine on the, uh, on the Atlantic Ocean, basically, um, about a couple hours north of Boston. And, you know, been here most of my life. And um, we have two daughters. Um, so Sage and Elsie, they were 12 and 10 at the time of my diagnosis and, you know, everything was just trucking along. You know, I, I was before cancer, I was a pretty healthy guy, like very active, um, you know, just enjoyed all the outdoors. Living here in Maine is a great place for the outdoors. And um, I was a journalist for many years. And then um, at the time of my diagnosis, I was doing my own public relations uh, consulting, just like a, a one man company. And my wife was a teacher and the girls were just going through school and you know it, it was like prime of life so yeah it was good yeah that and that's fascinating right because you you you're 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 on a kind of trajectory through life things are going your way oh yeah and then it it just hits you like so tell me the moment like how, how did you find out yeah i mean it was it's kind of you're right like you're just kind of going along and you have all these like illusions in your head like you tell these stories to yourself like <laughs> i'm gonna live till i'm 80 and i'm gonna see my grandkids like <laughs> you know like you just have this um, imagination of like what the steps are and then cancer comes along and i say i sometimes i use the phrase life asteroid because it's like an asteroid has hit you and your family <laughs> And it's like, oh my God, I, I went from a 41 year old, you know, mid middle of life, um, dad and husband and worker to quote unquote, a cancer patient, you know, facing metastatic colorectal cancer at age 41 with young children and boom, life asteroid, right? Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it because yeah, exactly. It is like an asteroid that just blows up into your world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what was like what was the biggest change for you trevor 
I mean, I think at first it was just real, like physiological shock and people don't talk about that enough. Like <laughs> the, the shock to your system when all of those, like, it's like you're in the matrix. And then one day you realize like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I, I might, this might kill me like, and soon, like, so there's the shock. And then there's the, I, I went into a period, a period of deep, um, huh, mental health struggle. So I think the biggest change was like, you know, I'd always been a pretty positive person, outward person. I struggled, you know, before cancer a little bit with like typical depression, anxiety, like so many others do. But when cancer hit and the idea of possibly dying at a young age and leaving my kids behind and my wife behind, it just crushed me emotionally. And so I went into a pit of despair, man, like clinical anxiety, depression, the whole works. Like I was on the floor well, there was a lot of days when I just wasn't even functioning. Um, it was that bad. I thought I was going to have to go into the hospital for my mental health, not even my cancer. Right. So I think, and that for the first, you know, I'm thinking like six to eight months of my journey, it was, it was like a pit and it was crushing. It was just emotional turmoil. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you brought this up, man, because it's something that does not get talked oh, about enough. Yeah, mental health with cancer. My God. Like I, I've gone through five major surgeries, more than 50 rounds of chemo and immunotherapy, all this stuff, like countless blood draws, the whole physical stuff. And none of that, that all of that is minor compared to the emotional challenge that I've faced as being a relatively young dad and father going through cancer. Like, and, and you're right. And that's one of the reasons why man up to cancer exists and why I am a patient advocate is that mental health and those challenges are not talked about nearly enough. And especially among men. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I know it's, it's just such, it goes straight to the core of your identity uh, as a oh. man, as a father. Right. And, and it just throws everything up. So Tell me, like, we're going to talk about man. So up well said, we're yeah. Talk about... Thanks, man. We're going to talk about man. But I want to know, like, you, you went into that pit because I know what it's like, man. You, yeah. You stand on the edge, right? You look down into the abyss. What was it like? And what's helped? You uh, so, it, well, it was, well, it was like hell. It was like literally being in hell. But I am, here's what helped. Love. Uh my family, like I am the, for a guy who got <laughs> stage four cancer at 41, I'm honestly the luckiest guy in the world because I have a wife and two daughters who just loved me through it. Like I wanted to go away. I didn't want to be a burden to them anymore. I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm going into the woods. I just, I can't like, I was just like you said, the identity, my identity was just destroyed. And, and yeah, I just wanted to protect them. I didn't want to be a burden anymore. So I'm like, I'm leaving. And they're like, hell you are. Uh, <laughs> my, so my wife really was, you know, they all gave me that, like that love. And my wife gave me that tough love of being like, you know, Hey, you need to get help. Like, you know, <clears throat> I don't care if you live another year or another 40, like we need you to be, we need you to be back engaged with us. We need you. You can't just check out. And, you know, and that was tough to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. And that's really when I got over the first barrier, which is usually the barrier for men when they're facing this type of 
life asteroid, which is accepting help, accepting that you can't do it on your own. Like I reached that point where I realized like my anxiety, my depression, the cancer stuff, I could not do it on my own. And I, and I, and that's the point probably about six months in when, when I really started reaching out for the supports that I needed to get out of that pit. Cause that pit is huge, man. And like, I know that people try to climb out of there on their own, but it doesn't, it, it usually doesn't happen. I know, man. And I, I, that's one of the things that I certainly regret not doing, you know, going through cancer is <laughs> not getting that help. I'm not getting it early enough because, because uh, it's because it's like it's cancer. It's like supposed to be tough. Well, right, but and but we're taught not to need help. Like most of us are are raised kind of as men to that that rugged individualism. Like you know what, I can handle this. I can handle my business. I got this. Um, but I was, you know, and in some things in life, that's not bad, right? Like home projects, etc. But I'll say, like with <laughs> with cancer, I yeah, it, cancer just crushed me in a way that no other challenge had. And, and that's when I started getting, so I reached out for counseling. I reached, I went to group counseling, individual counseling. I started meeting people online who were going through the same challenges I was with the same cancer type kids with cancer. Like, you know, that's where I found kind of the magic of that patient to patient movement and learning. And like, cause I was totally isolated and then through, through online social media and through these, um, my counseling, which is here locally, um, I wasn't isolated anymore. And that's when I started to be able to climb out of the pit. Yeah, yeah. You're so vital, Trevor. And, you know, you talk about counseling. I think one of the things that scares people away, I know it certainly scared me away, the counseling or yeah. working with a psychologist, yeah. is because you don't know what to expect. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about, like, what's that like? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, f fortunately for me, I, I actually had a background. Like, I had gone to counseling prior to cancer for, for just life and anxiety and relationships with my family. So I kind of had a sense of what it was going to be like. Um, but yeah, you're right. A lot of the guys in my group have that resistance or hesitance to talk about it. And you know what? And I'll say like, if that's not your thing, fine. Like there's plenty of tools in the toolbox. Counseling is just one of them. I mean, there's fitness, there's exercise, there's nutrition, there's meditation, there's there's all kinds of tools that you can use and, and the online communities, right? So there's all kinds of yep. tools that you can use to avoid isolation. Counseling just happened to be one that really, really worked for me. And honestly, like yeah, you just go in there and you're, you're the one doing the work. Like you, you're the one like sorting through your, the counselor's job is to just like absorb it and like maybe give you prompts, maybe give you some ideas, some homework, like just to like move the process along. But you're the one sitting down in that judgment-free space, just being able to say all the stuff. Like, so for me, like, I didn't want to sit here at night and like talk to my spouse, you know, or my close friends about like the real shit that I was feeling about <laughs> cancer. Right. But I could go to this person who's a total neutral party and say the things that I was terrified to say, like, I feel like I'm going to die, uh, <laughs> you know. I'm my will to live is pretty low right now. Like that stuff that is like really vulnerable. That's where I would do it is there. And, and I felt like to get that out of sometimes even just getting that out, getting those emotions out and just being able to process them in a safe place. No, that's like a, a trigger word for some people, the, the safe place to do it. But it is, I mean, <laughs> counseling for me, it was that kind of, and still is that place where, and sometimes I didn't even know what I was going to say. Right. Like I get to counseling, I'm like, this is stupid. 
I, I don't know, know what to talk about. I don't have anything to talk about. I'm done. And like, then five minutes later, I'd be like summoning up my like deepest fears and anxieties and stuff <laughs> and like working through it. So yeah, I mean, it's not for everyone, but it's a tool. Yeah. And I love that you, I love that you bring up the fact that you're in essence, you're in control. It's not like somebody does something oh, to you. Yes, totally. Right? Yeah. You're in the driver's like, seat. You're, you're driving. You're in the driver's seat. You get to control, you know, all, all the work, all the conversations. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. It's not like they make you do stuff. And, and it's true that like you discover things about yourself because sometimes you say things out loud that you go, Oh my God, did I, <laughs> is that really how I feel? And yeah, it is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think there's a lot of guys who, who think, Oh, I'm not, I'm not a, like a sissy. I'm not going to go to counseling and they'll take away my man card. And like my whole message is like, keep your toughness. Like you're going to need every bit of your toughness to go through cancer. But you're probably also going to need to open up a little bit. You're going to need to like grow that heart muscle, right? Like um, it, it takes courage to to accept help, right? And and so that's what I'm trying to do is say, you know, whether it's counseling, whether it's meditating, whether it's music, like we got, there's some badass guys out there going through cancer who also, you know, do music therapy or, or paint or, or like have <laughs> kittens that they like take care of to help them through this shit. It's like. So it's, it's kind of like a new definition of, of masculinity is really to like, you can keep those traditionally masculine values, like, you know, strength and assertiveness and leadership. Um, but you can also just incorporate in some of the, some of the more heartfelt stuff too, that, and the more vulnerable stuff that doesn't make you weaker. It makes you stronger because you're going to, you're doing those things to be healthy, to be there for your family, to be there for your community. Right. So like, you're using the tools to like, and to help your survival. People who isolate going through cancer have lower survival rates. This is a fact. There's plenty of research to, to back it up. So that's a big part of my message is like, you can't stay in your man cave. It's not good for you, man. Yeah, so powerful, man. And, and so true that it's not just about you, right? You know, like for me, taking that, that on was, was huge, right? Because you feel like, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's about my wife. It's about my son. It's about <laughs> being there for them and being a normal person. And so that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just go away and lock myself into my own world, you know? Yeah, 100%, man. Spot on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I love how you bring up the importance of connecting with people online, oh. um, maybe sometimes in person. I mean, today, obviously, online world works yeah, well. Man. So tell, tell me about how that works and, and how does it, how vital oh my God. isn't it so, to have a community? Yeah, thank you for that question. This is like, you, you get me going on all my passion topics here, right? <laughs> so I was, I was a total social media skeptic prior to cancer. Like, I didn't use the platforms very much. Like, like, like most of people my age, like I had a Facebook account, but I, I didn't really use it for anything. I'd post a couple photos here and there. I just thought it was like political garbage and like people judging each other and like fake bull crap. So I was like, whatever. And then <laughs> cancer hit and look, I was 41. I was facing a stage four colorectal cancer diagnosis with, with young children, like in my small town here in Maine, like I couldn't just go like hang out with a bunch of people in, in that same, but I really needed to connect with people who were facing a similar challenge, like down to the level of like being, we're walking the same path basically, but I couldn't do it right here in my hometown. Like, and, and I'm like, you know, it's online. 
where you can find these people. So I'm going to give the example of Colon Town. So Colon Town is a is a <laughs> network or or a collection of like they call them neighborhoods on Facebook. It's private. It is run by and populated by colorectal cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. Like that's the community. Um, and you in Colon Town, you can drill down like specifically. Like I'm in these neighborhoods for people with my specific biology of cancer. I'm in a neighborhood for people with young children, people who have CRC with young children. So, and like all these different groups from what I needed. And then there's like the downtown area, which is everyone. And so Colon Town opened my eyes and, and, and I met, you know, dozens, I, you know, you can meet people from across the country and across the world who are walking that path with you. And that is just n- number one, that is just priceless in and of itself. But then here's the real crazy thing. Number two, a place like Colon Town isn't just like a support group. It's not just like, oh, I'm here for you. Yeah, I'm here for you too. That's great. But it's honestly like a think tank. It is where I have learned so much about my disease because um, they have people who, who have CRC or engaged who are scientists and, and, and medical backgrounds um, and they bring in doctors to do webinars and, and like do presentations and like it is about empowering yourself to know about your disease because I thought naively when I got diagnosed that I was going to learn about my disease and my options and everything else from my providers. As it turns out, the providers are generally too overwhelmed. They they are, you know, they don't have the time and capacity. They're, they're serving hundreds of patients, right? So it, it's not malicious. They just don't have the capacity to spend that extra time with you on your disease and, and like go search all around. But if you go into a place like Colon Town, which for me with colon cancer, right? I, I learned it's that patient to patient education. I learned about my treatment options. People were like, oh, they don't have this option for you where you are, but maybe they have it over uh, down there at Moffitt in Florida or at Fred Hutch in Seattle or MD Anderson in Texas. So all of a sudden you start getting exposed to like the the latest and greatest uh, options in the field. And, and you start, it's just like a little like online laboratory. So you get the best of both worlds. You get the exposure to the camaraderie and knowing you're not alone because there's people on there, you know, in their, in their thirties, forties, like raising kids, being diagnosed with this. And, and then you also get the learning piece of it, which gives you the best chance at survival, right? Like I said, um, if you're not out there connecting and learning from these other patients and hearing what is out there, you're not giving your best, you're not giving yourself your best chance at extending your life and possibly even saving your life. I know many people whose lives literally have been saved because of information they got in online groups. Absolutely, because that's where you get to find out about clinical trials. Yes. That's where you get to find out about so many other things. I'm so uh, grateful that you are bringing this up, man, because it's, it's, it's also a place where it helps you to get, I think, help with your mental health. Because for me, you know, I was going through testicular cancer yeah. and, and finding out about, you know, talking to people about, you know, addressing some of those fears that I had about what life would be like, you know, after chemo and after surgery, <laughs> after this, and, and hearing that it's 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 a real thing that helped me to go, oh, you know what? Like, I can kind of see that there is a path to to survive. There's a path to path to live, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's the power of community. And, and again, like, you know, social media and the internet have opened up that whole new world. You know, it's only recently that we've had the ability to do this. So it, it's, yeah, it's, um, I can't say enough about the patient to patient movement and, and what that means. Um, you know, again, like doctors, they can't be expected to know everything all the time. And a lot of them are just drinking from the fire hose of information trying to <laughs> you know, it's tough. They have a tough job. And, you know, in the past, there was kind of this paternalistic model of, of healthcare, right? It's like, you go to your doctor, they tell you what to do. They know everything. But that, the problem is, especially like at the community level in rural places, like a lot of these oncologists are, are maybe they're treating like all types of cancer, right? They're not, they're not specialists in your type, right? So, yeah. So it's just, um, I, yeah, I, I could get going down that rabbit hole all night, but I guess the, the point is y- patients have the ability to learn. It's the same thing. Like if you were building a house and you hired an architect, um, you know, that architect is going to be the quarterback of, of, you know, figuring out what your house should look like, but you can read tons of books about architecture. You can, you can learn about it. You can get empowered so that you're a partner in that so that you and your architect can have discussions like, you know what, maybe this and maybe that. And so the, this idea of the empowered patient, the old model being that kind of like, they just told you what to do now, you know, pay, and I'm not talking about patients who just go on Google for a day and come up with some crazy ideas, right? I'm talking <laughs> about like real learning and real learning and then taking that to your oncologist and saying like, Hey, I've we were talking about this in colon town, um, you know, this, this, um, new clinical trial or this new drug, like, what do you think? And most oncologists that are worth a salt, uh, will say, yeah, let's take a look at it. Like, let's talk about it. If your oncologist doesn't want you to be part of your own care, like doesn't want you to be part of saving your own life, you can, you need to fire your oncologist. I'm so glad that you bring this up. Yeah, if, if, you, if you don't feel like that person is clicking with you, whether that's your oncologist or any other specialist, move on, Yeah, bring in somebody else, man. It's your life. It's your life on the line. And, and no one, even, your, even the best oncologist, they're not going to care as much about your life as you do. Like You have a role to play, and, and I don't care what background you're from. With, with the resources available and with all these other smart patients out there, you don't need to learn it all yourself. You just need to find the right smart patients to help you. Exactly. And no one is more invested in your well-being, your way of life than you are yourself. Spot on. Hey man, let's talk about let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about us guys. Cause you know, we talked we spoke about men and uh, and we're gonna talk about men up to cancer. Yeah. And you and you you you've you've spoken with so many, so many men. Trevor, what is it that makes us different? Do we have different needs? How does it <laughs> Absolutely. work? Man? Absolutely. I mean, we're talking like thousands of years of biology and thousands of years of, of sociology, like culture, and those things intertwine. You know, there are, uh, you know, science shows us now that there are, in general, we've got to put the asterisk there, in general, <laughs> that the sexes respond differently to a cancer diagnosis and to a life-threatening illness. And it's one of the basic, it's one of the most um, prominent gender disparities there is. And there's tons of research on this, Um, you know, in all the leading journals, it's been there. And it shows that when facing a life-threatening illness, men in general tend to isolate, 
tend to withdraw from activities and people that they, you know, enjoyed um, tend to have higher mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. And, and, and there's consequences to that, which we've already discussed, but the reason the, the, the main thrust of why this is, is that we are brought up in, in most cultures, men are brought up to feel like they're supposed to fix it. They're supposed to be the fixers. You're supposed to be the problem solvers, you know, and then you're confronted with this massive health challenge that you're not prepared or equipped to face. And so, you know, there's that shame word that comes up again. Like, you know, we, we feel men feel this, this shame about getting cancer in the first place. And then like, somehow it's a failure. And then, um, you know, we tend to, to check out and women in general are much more comfortable accessing their social networks. They usually have bigger social networks to start with. I remember a study that showed like, most American men don't even have a single close friend that they would confide their deepest feelings to, not one. Whereas women generally have at least three to four. Um, most times for the man, it's the partner or the spouse, <laughs> which is interesting, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's just, it's the way that we're somewhat wired from the past, but also just conditioned in the present is to, is to have this a sense of mastery over our domains. And when something, when the life asteroid hits, all of a sudden that mastery feels lost. And like, I can easily feel lost. I did it. I felt lost. And I think a lot of, a lot of men do. I mean, I talk to so many men going through this and that's definitely one of the common themes is like, is that theme of feeling uh, vulnerable, like an animal feels vulnerable when they're trapped. And, and sometimes that response is just go in the cave like, and, or go away. Like I did say, like, I'm just going into the woods. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm no help at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right. When you talk about the animal, yeah, you're, you're the animals are part of the pack, right? They're not solid. <laughs> right. So that speaks, the, yeah, that speaks to exactly what you're saying. You, 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 then you, you go back to your pack, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, you know, how did this man up to cancer come up? How did it, what did compel you to, to bring people together? Yeah. So as I, as I reached out for help and got over that first hurdle of saying, I can't do this by myself. I just, it was, there was such a glaring gender gap in the support spaces in cancer land. So here in Maine at my cancer center, it was always at least 75% women, 80% women to 20% men who men who were engaging with those services and the services available are awesome. It, it's not just counseling. Like it is massage and Reiki and nutrition and exercise class and all of it's free, right? <laughs> this is the Dempsey center founded by the actor, Patrick Dempsey. He, he makes all of this free to cancer patients and their families. You can go do all this stuff to support yourself, but very few men do. So that's the first place I noticed. And then secondly, like in colon town and other colorectal cancer spaces, colorectal cancer is people don't know this, but it's about 50, 50 men and women. Like it's, I think it's maybe close to 55% men, 45% women who get it. Like people think it's an old man's disease. So it's definitely more close to 50, 50 than people think. It's also a younger disease than people think there's been a, a, a very un, an unsettling, concerning rise in young onset colorectal cancer. So there's all that going on too. So in those spaces, 
colon town, uh, fight CRC, um, colorectal cancer Alliance. Again, I call it the three to one rule, three, three women for every one man. So I just kept thinking like, where are the men at? Um, you know, and so all that stuff we've been talking about cultural conditioning and how men respond and everything. I didn't know that at the time you have, you kind of know it in your head. Cause you kind of, everyone knows the guy who's like, they, they have something hurting them for like five years and they won't go see the doctor because they, they like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. That typical male, like we all know that from our stories. Like, you know, I've done it too. Like we, I think a, a lot of men just have that resistance to even acknowledging that a problem might exist. I started to really understand what, what the problem was and what some of the reasons are behind it. Cause I knew that there was guys out there suffering just like I was, and I wanted to be able to do something about it. So that is really the Genesis is kind of understanding, seeing the problem of this gender gap in cancer land and then thinking, well, I know these guys are out there. How do we reach them? How do we find them? Oh, and then, and then the co-ed issue. So a lot of men feel uncomfortable or, or maybe ashamed or just, um, they don't love being in co-ed environments because they don't want to be perceived as weak, like going on to, uh, if you go into colon town and you're sharing and you know that all these women are reading your posts, like you don't want to go in there and be like, ah, I totally lost my mojo. Like I, I can't, you know, I haven't been able to have sex and like I, I cancer is ruining this and that. Like, I think most men would say like, that is not a comfortable space for them. So that's another reason why I was like, we need to meet men where they're at. And if we know that they're uncomfortable in that co-ed setting, maybe we just need to give them a place for them. You know, there's women's space, there's spaces for women and then there's spaces for men. And so that was really, I'm like, I'm going to create a community um, called man up to cancer. And, and the, we're going to do a Facebook group and the group itself is going to be just for men, a place where male cancer patients, survivors and male caregivers can just go and totally be themselves, not have to worry about that judgment or, or feeling uncomfortable around the opposite sex. Um, and we're very inclusive. Like, you know, it's a men's group, but if you identify as a man and your Facebook profile says you're a dude, then you're in, right? Like <laughs> this is not, it's not an anti-women thing at all. We love all the women in our lives. It's just that, you know, men bonding with other men and having those rituals and that, that, that space has been since the dawn of mankind. And we've lost some of that recently. Like some of those rituals have been taken away from us. We don't do as much of that anymore. Um, so really this is like the old lodge or fishing trip or hunting trip where, where guys like go <laughs> out and, and, you know, shoot the shit and just, you know, it's a cancer group. Yes. Like we vent about our cancer. We, we talk about the challenges we, we, but we come from all types of cancers. So we don't do treatment. We don't do sciencey stuff. Like it's just about brotherhood camaraderie and knowing that, you know, emotional support and, and that we're going to have your back no matter what, no matter what type of cancer you have, no matter your age, no matter what stage. Um, so that's what, that's where it came from. Um, so now man to cancer is the howling place group. We have about 2000 men from, uh, all or I think every state in the U S most of the Canadian provinces, Canada is coming on strong in our group. Um, we've got some Aussie, uh, brothers, uh, Rob Miller and crew, um, 
down there in Australia. Um, you know, it's, it's small numbers. It's early days yet, but like, to me, the numbers don't really matter. Like, yes, I, we're going to grow, unfortunately, because there's men who could, you know, benefit from what we do. But to me, we want to reach those people who need us. Like I think about where I was at with my anxiety and depression and just isolated in 2018. Those are the people that I hope listen to my podcast or pick up, you know, or, or hear this podcast and say, well, Hey, what is that whole man up to cancer thing all about? Because, you know, we want quality of relationships. And, and when you come in your family, like when you're part of our group, you, you definitely are part of the man up to cancer family. Um, so we have the, the group. I do a podcast. I'm writing a book this fall. Um, we have a, a website and social media. And we just had our first annual gathering of wolves, which is going to be, it, it is, well, we had our first, but going forward, it will be an annual retreat. Um, we had about um, 60 men there, members of the group from all around the US and Canada. We even had a guy from Belgium come. Um, shout out to David DeWild. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and we just had it. And it was just, it was a, Wow. It was a transcendent experience, I think, for most of the people, including myself. And we can't wait to get back there next year um, for the Gathering of Wolves in 23. Um, so it's really turned into, you know, I, I thought I had a, a concept that would resonate with, with men out there because there's not a lot of content specifically geared towards men in the cancer spaces. Like I say, there's two types of content in cancer spaces. One is like, so positive that it's so unrealistic. Like everyone's running 5Ks and raising money and everyone's smiling and like, oh, cancer seems like a freaking <laughs> vacation. And then the second, <laughs> the second type of content is like soul crushingly somber. Like, oh, you have cancer. And it's like a we're so sorry. We're gonna we're gonna help you through this. It's like, I'm not dead. Like <laughs> I'm still here. So like what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do with like the public stuff around man up to cancer is just kind of show the real deal. Like we're going to show the highs and lows of cancer and everything in between, but it's going to be real. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Man. And, and, and I just, I'm this, you saw this profound need and I'm just also want to speak to the fact that you saw the way to communicate the way to, so that people hear your message and they go, yeah, I can, I can, I can get behind that. That speaks to me. Well, and that's because other guys, you know, I just had this idea. I'm like, I'm going to do this cancer wolf pack. And I was like, this is either going to go, this is going to go one of two ways. People are going to be like, that's freaking cool. Like I want to be part of the wolf pack. Like, yeah. Or they're going to be like, this is the stupidest idea I have ever heard. <laughs> like, what is this wolf stuff? Like, who the hell is this guy? So that's why you need other role models and people to buy in. So shout out to my guy, Joe Bullock, uh, follower number one, um, who has become the, the lead administrator in the Howling Place, which takes some pressure off me because then I can do all the other stuff, like the fundraising and the podcast and everything else. But Joe, Joe bought in on the mission from day one. And I say, I put up the walls to the Howling Place, but he's pretty much filled the seats. Like that guy is like the cancer <laughs> Oprah. He knows everybody. <laughs> yeah good on you Trevor that's I just love hearing that and so <laughs> and so tell me how because it's just one thing led to another and that's how things started growing right yeah I mean we just we put out the invite Joe connected with all his people and and the two of us really just started saying like putting it out to the world like hey we have this place 
you know, that's, that's just for guys. If you're going through cancer, if you like our vibe, come check it out. And, um, people ask me like, how hard was it to get men to open up in the group and like show you their real feelings and like be vulnerable and like, which happens on a daily basis, by the way, in the howling place. Uh, and it's not all like that. Like we have lots of lighthearted humor. We have an ongoing war about whether pineapple belongs on pizza. I am a purist and I don't believe that it does, but I think I'm in the minority. You're now. wrong. I know. See, I knew <laughs> I kind of figured that you would be a pro pineapple guy. Um, but people ask me like, so was it hard to get them to open up? And I'm like, well, once we gave them the space, it wasn't hard at all. Like guys were ready. Like it was almost like they were looking for a space to just come and howl and like go tribal and like, and just put it all out there. Say all the stuff. It's kind of like counseling, honestly, like just saying all, <laughs> all the stuff that they, they're like, Hey, like, and what is said in the howling place stays in the howling place. Right. So people just felt like once they got permission and then once they got role models, like we've got so many role models in the group that are just like guys, guys, but like I said, like guys, guys, but, but they also, you know, will share about what they're going through. And once that people started to buy into that, like role modeling, it, I mean, it was super easy. It, it is like, you don't have to twist anyone's arms to really, once they're in there, they get it. And the people that don't want to do that, like, that's fine too. Like we got people who don't share a lot. Like people just kind of keep it light and they're in there. I will say the howling place is there for people on their terms. So men on their terms, you get out of it, what you, you know, want from it. And it's there for you on your terms, when you need it, how you need it. And if you need it, like if someone comes into the howling place and they get something out of it, or maybe they can provide support to someone else for a little bit. And then they decide it's time to move on. I'm like, great, man. Like <laughs> not everyone wants to be around, you know, cancer guys and cancer content all the time. Like I get that. It just happens to be my calling. Like that happens to be my purpose. And, and so, yeah, now I'm going on a classic Trevor ramble. You get me going, Joe. <laughs> no, love hearing that, man. And that's what I want to talk to now, man, is that sense of purpose. How did that come up and how does that make you feel? I just feel like it's just so aligned. Like, I feel like everything that I had done in my life prior to just kind of like fell a little bit flat in terms of, except for my family, right? Like being a husband, being a dad, like that was always like a core part of my identity. But with like my professional life, I was a journalist. I did PR. Like I loved what I did, but there was always like a little bit of unfulfillment. But then all of the skills that I, you know, collected over 40 years before cancer, I feel like it was kind of like they were all meant to come into what I'm doing now. Like I'm just manifesting this new mission, you know, based on all the stuff that I was ready for. It was almost like the universe was like, okay. We're going to throw you this challenge because we know you're going to be able to do something here after you get out of that pit, that's going to be special and help people. And, you know, and, and so once I dug out of that pit with the help of so many people who loved me, it was like, I was shot out of a cannon. Like I was just ready to go. I was like fired up, like, and it didn't happen overnight. Like there was a lot of healing that had to be done. And, and I, I still go through normal valleys. Like, I still have anxiety and fears and depression and, and thoughts that are tough. But the difference now is I just don't dwell there, right? Like it's not clinical. It's normal. Like it's appropriate for what I'm going through. So I kind of just felt like, 
when I saw the guy problem and I, and I realized that I could be one of the people to help address it. Like, I'm like, that's a problem that I can help with. I know that I can be a bridge to guys because I feel like I'm a pretty, and I've been told like that I connect with people from different backgrounds. And I did that as a journalist. Like I can kind of find our common ground, no matter what backgrounds we come from. And finding that common ground, especially when you're going through cancer, just has given me the ability to make these relationships and bring people into the movement and, and, and inspire others. So it was almost as if a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's happened, I've, honestly, this is a big secret, Joe, I've been kind of winging <laughs> it here. Uh, <laughs> like there was no, like, I did have an idea of like what it could be or what it could look like, but I'm, I've also been in treatment this whole time or in surgeries this whole time. Like I'm coming up on five years since my diagnosis and I have not had a stretch beyond, you know, a couple of months of, of not having treatment or surgery. So there was that too, which turns out was a great thing because all of this man up to cancer stuff, I had to develop at my own pace with the help of others. And while I was facing stage four cancer. Um, so a lot of it was just winging it. And then when you, sometimes when you wing it and you just trust that you're doing the right thing, like I would just get up in the morning and be like, all right, I want to help guys going through cancer. Like, tell me what to do. And by the end of the day, I had done like seven or eight things that were aligned with that purpose. And so I don't want to say that it was totally unconscious because I, I definitely had some like part of it, but I almost feel like I was just put in the shoot. And if I would just let it go and kind of go with it, that it would kind of take care of itself and the right people would come at the right time and, and find man up to cancer and get involved. And dude, that's exactly what happened. Like I have so many people involved in man up to cancer now and helping and leaders and like, it's, it's not just me. It's not just Joe Bullock. Like it, it's, it's a big group of us now. And like that gave me affirmation that the universe was that, that my trust in the universe was, um, valid and that's what's inspiring man is the fact that you were winging it right it, it's it's like it's like a plane right that that's off oh, course yeah, most, totally. most of the time right? yeah yeah no that's exactly yeah, it, right um because and my counselor even told me that too she's like it's kind of like you're just building a boat while going down river um and the plane analogy <laughs> works too um <clears throat> but like you know but then i got to the point like i was so like obsessed with it and like doing it so much she's like okay trevor like the boat is pretty much built. You might like make some refinements, but you've got a pretty nice boat and you have a bunch of people on the boat with you. So maybe you can go lay in the hammock for a couple minutes and like take <laughs> turns, you know, steering the damn thing. And I'm like, that's totally the Wolfpack mentality too. It's like we, I, when I was on chemo last year, 2021, I did hideous, what I call kitchen sink chemo. I was sick a ton. And pretty much incapacitated a lot of that year and man up to cancer went along fine because it wasn't just me. And so that's the wolf pack mentality is like you take turns breaking the trail. And then when you are not feeling well, or you need a rest, then you, you let those others lead. And like, I think that's the big transition for me now is to kind of see the big picture, but empower others to, who get it, who like understand the message, who understand the purpose and the consequences, giving them the tools and just empowering them to say, Hey, like, go do what you want to do. Like do go run with this 
again, because it's not my thing. It's not anyone's thing. It's all of us. Exactly. And the change that you speak to is what I love is that you, you, you after uh, you, you got hit with cancer, it changes the way that you feel. Because you know, so some people say, well, I, I, I won't let cancer define me. Well, I feel like, how can it not? Right? It is. You don't have a choice. <laughs> you don't have a choice. It's here. It's going to define you. But you choose how it's going to define you. And you choose how that's how that that will direct your life from this moment on and living with purpose. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And again, I just come back to love because I don't believe that an individual can can make that transformation without others and and without love and, and without, you know, maybe they can. I don't know. Just for me, I wasn't able, I, I was transformed through the love of others, my friends, my family, my, my wolf pack, um, all of those people who have just loved me through this damn thing. And, and that has empowered me to let the transformation happen, right? Like to learn, to grow. Like I, I am a totally different person than I was before cancer. And in some ways I feel like I'm a much better person. I feel like I'm more patient, more generous, um, more loving, uh, more in tune with, you know, everything going on around me. And, and, and I wasn't there like the first year of cancer, if you had said, Oh, but what about the silver linings? Like the gifts of cancer, I would have been like, okay, this is where I throat punch you. Um, <laughs> and, and still like, if I could trade it in, right. Like if, if I could, tr if I could go back or, or not have cancer, you know, and not have to worry about my family and my kids. So my girls are 17 and 15. Now, remember they were 12 and 10 when I was diagnosed. So to get here has been such a freaking gift. Um, but if, if you were to say like, you could, you could be cancer free, like go, go without it. Of course I, I would, I'm not going to lie to you and be like, no, the gifts of this are too good. Like I take it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Hell yeah. Take away the cancer, but I don't have that choice. Right. Like we said, like cancer forces you to shed your skin and transform. And, and it's, it, it's going to look like something. It's not going to look like it did before. Like, yeah, the, the core parts of you are still there, but like, even for the people who get a diagnosis, go through treatment and then our NED and their survivors, like years later, if they're being honest, most of those people will tell you like there, there was no going back to that person who was there before. Like it changes, it changes you. It changes everything. And with love, you can, you can channel that into something that's super positive. And I'm living proof of that because I was broken. Uh, so powerful that you bring it up to love, bring it back to love. That and that's that's what kind of completes the circle. Yeah, that, that how it all comes together, right? Is is that sense of purpose? Is that sense of giving and that sense of belonging with other people and the support that you need? It oh. starts with love and ends there. Yeah, and 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 people are like, oh well, look at this. It's helping so many people, and I'm like, well, it's also helping me. <laughs> like I have more support now. Like this isn't just about altruism, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to go do this great thing. It's about helping others. But in doing so, I also help myself because if I'm having a, a scan coming up or, or something like that, something that's troubling me, I can go into my group and I know that I'm going to have so many, you know, brothers in there that are just going to just pile on me with love and like 
give me that fuel I need to just get over that hump. And so I've never been more supported. Um, and that's, so it, go, it, you know, the support spaces like this go both ways for the people who start them and run them and for the people, you know, who are in them. Absolutely, man. And if someone wanted to find out more about Man Up to Cancer, what would they do? Um, the easiest thing to do is go to manuptocancer.com. That's like central hub. From manuptocancer.com, you can access the, the um, sorry, the social media, the Howling Place group, the podcast. Like there's all the pieces of it. So just manuptocancer.com. Um, and that's kind of your central hub. If you're on Facebook and you know what, someday maybe we'll have a different platform, but like Facebook was the easiest place to just start a community. Right. And, and most of the communities are there. Um, if you're on Facebook, just, and you're a man and you're interested in checking out the howling place group, just, just search for the howling place or man up to cancer, the howling place. And it's a private group. So you need to put in a request to join. And we are very protective of, of our family, right? We're very protective of our group because there's so many scammers out there. It's crazy, right? Like people try to sell stuff and like there's bots and like everything else. So <laughs> if you want to join, we're going to ask you to fill out, a, answer a couple of questions. Like tell us a little bit about your cancer. Just make sure you're a human. Make sure you're not trying to sell us some magical cure, and then we'll get you in there. And then that's when the, that's when the fun stuff begins. You told me there isn't a magical cure. Oh, yeah, I know. Like, it's <laughs> the people all the time trying to sell us something, like some clinic somewhere or some um, some route. That, I, I did a podcast once with my buddy Robbie Burridge, and we talked about the magic um, Himalayan beetroot, which doesn't actually exist, <laughs> but I just created it as like a... I probably could go out and make like so much money selling that. Like, no, this is how you, because there's people out there, awful people who profit off of people's misery and desperation. Like a lot of us. So this is, this is the, the tough part about man up to cancer and the howling place is we lose our people, right? We've lost about 120 members have passed away since we started the group. So if you're going to be in with us, you have to be at that point where you really can look at your own mortality and you can, and you can make relationships and face the mortality of your friends and your brothers um, without looking away, without that destabilizing you. And again, I was not at that point early on in my cancer. So I would not have been a member of the Howling Place until later on because it's hard. It's really hard to make these real friendships, support one another, and then lose your friends. But the benefit of knowing them and walking with them and the privilege of loving them, even until the end, so far outweighs for most of us the pain of losing them. Like I, It's painful to lose them, but it was more joyous and more rewarding to have known them at all. And so we talk about walking each other home and, and that's part of what we do. If you're going to be in a cancer community, that is part of the deal. So you gotta, you gotta be willing to, to face that, you know, to address that, to really address it and clarify your own beliefs and like 
Because when we're talking about cancer and a lot of us are stage four, we are talking about death and dying. And we live in a day and age where those are subjects that most people don't ever want to talk about. You know, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about dying. We don't talk about sickness. Um, but guess what? Humans have been doing it for thousands of years and we can do it too. And we can do it better. <laughs> so that's a whole nother show. I think Joe is to talk about, you know, facing death and dying and, and not uh, turning away from it. Um, because, you know, it is hard, but again, the, the, the joy of being together and walking with each other on this road and supporting one another is outside of my family, the greatest privilege I've ever had. That's incredible. Trevor, thank you for being here and thank you so much for what you do in the world, man. Thank you. I didn't say at the top, man, but like, thank you for all that you do, uh, for everything you do for the cancer community. Um, you know, we appreciate you and I'm just, I'm honored to, to be here and talking to you from around the world. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, my friend, it's Joe Bakmotsky. Thank you so much for being here. I just want to jump in here real quick to let you know about this great new tool that I built for you. It's called Cancer Can Give, and it's a video course that is designed to help you live a happier, more fulfilled, and more purposeful life beyond cancer. It's something that I wish I had, and I hope it will serve you in making the difference that you want to make in a way that is significant to you after everything that you have been through with cancer. Now, this is available absolutely free of charge for you. Just go to simplifycancer.com and click on the Cancer Can Give link to find out more. Absolutely free, my friend. Just helping you to move forward. And thank you so much for being here. I want to remind you before we go that after everything, that you have been through with cancer, my friend, you deserve the world. And you have the power to be happy, to seek greater clarity in everything that you do, to show up at your best every single day so that you know and you prove to yourself that you are enough. And to hold on to that hope that no matter what happens, and how crazy things get, the things get and do change for the better. Thank you for being here, my friend. Speak soon.